Hey y'all, it's Baratunde. I'm back with a very special edition of my confessional podcast on SoundCloud. If you're coming in through another means, uh, you can find this and more audio versions of me at soundcloud.com slash Baratunde. For those of you who are regulars, it's been a long time. I shouldn't have left you without a uh, audio file to step to, assuming you stepped to step step. I am very excited about this issue. It's special because I, my face, my big face is on the cover of Fast Company magazine, the July-August 2013 issue, and it's not about me, it's by me. I wrote a piece about unplugging from social media during my winter vacation, and it was revealing, or is the word revelatory. One sounds more heavenly and egomaniacal. I'll say it's revealing. How about that? So I uh, decided for a couple reasons to do an audio version of the piece. One, I haven't done one of these in a while. Two, uh, my friend Danae Hanna on Twitter said the piece is too long for me to read and I need to be able to do other stuff like laundry. That's a paraphrasing. Uh, so you should record it because I am somewhat lazy. Again, a paraphrasing. D-E-N-A-E-H-A-N-N-A-H. Danae Hanna. Wonderful person. Great dancer. If you like this, you should thank her for her Twitter-based encouragement. Uh, I'm recording this on Audacity on my MacBook Air overseas so apologies for interruptions, quality issues, uh, mutterings, um, mistakes. I am quite hungry. I haven't eaten. It's 2.38 in the afternoon and I haven't had any food. I'm a foolish person. So, But I wanted to get this out uh, ideally in time for America, hey y'all, to wake up. Um, if you're coming in through fastcompany.com, I thank you and welcome. Uh, and you should check out the back page every month because I generally have that for my back page column. If you are coming in through the NSA or Hong Kong or China proper, what's up to you too? Uh, everybody's welcome to unplug, especially the NSA. Okay, let's do this uh, thing that we're about to do. Hashtag unplug. Baratunde Thurston left the internet for 25 days and you should too. That's the title. It actually is a hashtag in the title, and you can follow on. I might just like audio annotate this too. This is, consider this the enhanced version of the article where I change everything I put in print, and you get the better version because you were too lazy to read the printed version. I have left the internet. I'm on vacation. That means no social media updates, responses, check-ins, likes, taps, pokes, noogies, tickles, or headlocks. I'm going to practice looking people in the eye and not checking my email or by Baratunde Thurston. My official biography, such as it is, reads as follows. Baratunde Thurston is the author of the New York Times bestseller, How to Be Black, and CEO and co-founder of Cultivated Wit, a creative comedic digital agency and product development company. I'm an author, consultant, speechifier, and cross-platform opiner on the digital life. My friends say I'm the most connected man in the world, and in 2012, I lived like a man running for president of the United States, planet Earth, and the internet all at once. Physically, mentally, digitally, I refuse to stay still. I published my book. I toured hard for my book. One week, I hit seven cities in five states across three time zones, employing three airlines, two hotel chains, and one friend's couch. My life became so mobile, I gave up the lease of my apartment. I quit my job at The Onion. I started a company. I worked for the Obama campaign, survived walking home through Hurricane Sandy, and live hate-tweeted 
the final installment of the Twilight movie saga, someone had to. Here's a partial quantification of the year. Trips abroad, six. Seven if you count Texas as a separate republic. Cities visited, 34. Days spent away from Brooklyn, 179. Facebook posts, 1,518, four per day. SMS threads, 3,702, 10 per day. Photos taken, 4,845, 13 per day. Tweets, 11,541, 32 per day. Gmail conversations, 59,409, 163 per day. Miles flown, at least 128,000, which is more than enough ecological cost to outweigh the benefit of my reusable shopping bag. And on that, Miles, this is a little audio annotation for you special audio people. I just couldn't do the work to add up all the miles in time for this piece. It was probably more than 128,000 given the number of days I was away. And now we return to our story. By November, I'd reached rock bottom. I was burned out, fried, done, toast. I was aware that my daily routine and lifestyle were unsustainable. That summer, I hired my longtime friend Julia Linton Bolte to be my chief of staff. I gave her the grandiose title because personal assistant was not big enough to capture her role in helping manage my business relationships, travel, communications, and time. I also just happened to like grandiose titles. Come November, after a short five months of employment, she politely informed me that I was becoming grouchy, perhaps even nasty, under the combined forces of my will, schedule, momentum, and addiction to constant connectivity. Indeed, I had begun to resent the emails and the mobile notifications, the many ways that an odd and wide assortment of people dared to enter my life. I was becoming a dick. <laughs> Something drastic was required. Julia and I started looking for ways I could take a break. I was worried about slowing down or even stopping. I felt responsible for too many things. My business, my political interests, my brand, my bills. Christmas seemed the only possible escape. With the exception of Mr. Scrooge, everybody slows down during the holidays, and so would I. I considered fleeing to a remote island for a few weeks, but I realized I wasn't craving physical escape. I didn't actually want to be alone. I just wanted to be mentally free of obligations, most of which asserted themselves in some digital fashion. I decided to stay still, find an Airbnb residence right in Brooklyn, technically homeless, remember, and step back from digital interaction. Yeah, me, the recipient of the 2011 Shorty Award for Foursquare Mayor of the Year, would not check in, at least for a few weeks. Prep work. Julia and I decided that my digital detox would start at 5 p.m. on Friday, December 14, 2012, and last through Monday, January 7, 2013. 25 days seemed appropriate for the depth of cleansing I desired and probably even needed. Now I had to decide exactly what to give up. I didn't want to completely abandon the Internet. I love, depend on, and frankly, I made a better human being by the convenience of streaming movies, online food ordering, and Google Maps. I did not want to sever ties with friends. In fact, one of my goals was to strengthen relationships with pre-Facebook pals. I wanted to go to lunch, attend holiday parties, and host people for dinner. So I decided I could use my phone for personal calls and texts and could schedule these encounters with Google Calendar. Two activities made the prohibition list. First, all business affairs would be tabled. Call me self-employed, call me an artist, call me supreme allied commander of my multi-hyphenate life. 
remember, fancy titles, they all translate to working all the time. I would not live that way during this vacation. Second, for these 25 days, I would avoid all social media, including the original online social network, email. I would not read, write, or be notified of any electronic missive. I would not generate any activity whatsoever on any social network whatsoever, including, but not limited to, seeing, reading, downloading, syncing, sending, submitting, posting, pinning, sharing, uploading, updating, commenting, tagging, rating, liking, loving, upvoting, starring, favoriting, bookmarking, plus wanting, or re-anythinging. I needed advice on how to do this. So where did I turn? To Twitter, Google, Facebook, of course. Yes, I'm aware of the irony. Thank you very much. I'm not that far gone. Not surprisingly, there is lots of advice online about how to move your existence offline. Some of it was actually useful. For instance, there are plenty of good recipes for hot toddies, so I grabbed a couple of those. There are a plethora of posts on digital detox, including one called How to Take an Email Sabbatical by Microsoft researcher Dana Boyd, who goes so far as to auto-delete all inbound emails and send an auto-reply informing senders to quote-unquote resend your message when I return. I couldn't commit to that. The FOMO, fear of missing out, in me is strong. What if Carrie Washington, the scandal star whom I have somehow never met, wrote me confessing her love and I missed it because of some extremist view on vacation emails? To ensure an inbox-free vacation, my chief of staff would log in every few days to check that I didn't miss anything urgent, such as a family emergency, holiday party invite, or that message from Carrie. With email under control, I tackled the other tasks I had to accomplish to ready the world and myself for my impending departure from digitalhood. First, Julia and I pulled together a list of VIPs who deserved personal preparation for my disappearance. These folks included my agents, lawyer, co-founders, landlord, show bookers, close friends, and sister. An email, a phone call, or face-to-face interaction was required in each case. Then I started making a series of loud announcements, both on email and via the many social services I inhabit, about my impending departure. I wanted to do this in as considerate a manner as possible, since both personal and business matters are conveyed through these platforms. I've gotten client proposals via Twitter direct messages and wedding invitations via Facebook updates. To simply walk away with no warning felt rude and unprofessional. So my announcements were recurring clear, and very specific, telling people the hour of my farewell, the few exceptions I would make, and the date of my return to digital life. Along the way, I concocted a wish list of activity for my disconnected time. It was a pleasure to contemplate places to visit in New York, books to read, and people with whom I wanted to spend some quality time. I included Alec Baldwin among that group for reasons that I cannot explain. I do not know Alec Baldwin, and I do not have a burning desire to spend my vacation with him. But he made the list, and I thought you should know. The next steps, which I left for the very last day, were to appropriately deactivate my iPhone and my social media services, including Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, Path, Instagram, SoundCloud, and Voicemail. This is where things got complicated. Disengaging from all this was a lesson in just how locked in we really are, or at least how I was really locked in. As much as we all gripe about email, it is designed to be turned off. Email comes with a vacation message feature that alerts senders to the fact that we are not available. 
We can set up forwarding rules that apply to different subsets of contacts. People trying to reach us aren't left in the dark to assume we have met our demise, entered witness protection, or placed them on a no-reply list of enemies. Email lets us leave. Social media services, however, are not interested in making absence easy. Senders have no way of knowing whether our non-responsiveness is personal, technical, or something else. The services offer no vacation mode. Sure, we can deactivate or suspend some accounts, but those options are well hidden and their actual meaning is unclear. For example, I use Facebook to log in to many sites. If I suspend my account, do those logins then fail? After much research, I still don't know. Social media sites are like planes designed for perpetual flight. Anyone wanting to come down must signal wildly before attempting a crash landing. With no vacation mode available, I hacked the next best solution. I changed my profile photos to an all-black rectangle with simple messaging in all caps. Offline through Jan 7, 2013, expect no replies. In this era of high-definition handheld multi-party and free wireless video chat, my best option was essentially a smoke signal. But that's not all it takes to escape social media. I wanted to shut down inbound, no inbound noise while also creating no digital expression of my vacation activity. I wanted to take pictures during my break, but I didn't want pop-up alerts if someone on Instagram started following me. I wanted to watch Netflix on my laptop, but I did not want to publish that movie selection on my Facebook timeline. The more I tried to control these data streams, the more I realized that everything is just too integrated. I had given hundreds of apps, websites, and services the rights to publish my activities to Facebook and Twitter or to interrupt my iPhone experience with unsolicited alerts. Some just add a number to account on the app's icon, which seemed meaningless until I realized that this little number is a nagging reminder I'd never truly reach inbox zero. I never sat down in a single signing ceremony granting permission for all of this communication. Instead, I had clicked yes or allow or check here if you just want to get to the actual app you installed once in a while over several years. Now I was trying to shut it all down on a single day. I was stunned at the, cum the cumulative level of noise I had embraced and frustrated at how difficult it was to silence. Had I really granted all of this? Did I really need the three most recent alerts from Gate Guru on my phone's lock screen? On Facebook, Twitter, and everywhere else, I was forced to mute services one at a time, hundreds of times. The same was true for my iPhone. While there is a nice do not disturb feature on newer iPhones, complete with a sleepy little moon icon, all it does is silence calls and alerts. I wanted the apps to stop sending alerts altogether, and believe it or not, it takes six screen taps to do that per application. This is what Apple must mean when it calls iOS the world's most advanced mobile operating system. Needless to say, I had not budgeted the time to flip all these switches off. While I had told everyone that 5 p.m. Eastern Time was my cutoff, I missed it by several hours. I wasn't finished until shortly before midnight, but despite the unanticipated delay, I had done it. I had successfully unplugged. And here's an audio author's note on, on that point. Someone on Fast Company's Facebook page suggested that I could have simplified this by deleting the apps uh, instead of managing all their settings individually and then reinstall them once the vacation was over. That does work, especially if it's five apps or fewer. If you start to talk about 20 apps, then you got to create a whole separate list to make sure you add those back. 
uh, and it's really painful, depending on your connection, to reinstall apps, and you have to re-download all that stuff. Um, I actually had made a folder on my phone for the vacation called Apps I Never Used, and I put the email app in there and the Facebook app in there. What I would love Apple to, to think about doing, no, or to let us do, even more importantly, is have a sort of sequestration folder. Any app you put in there is essentially deactivated. Uh, it's in a demilitarized zone. There's a DMZ folder. And anything you drop in there gets muted. And then you drag it out, and it's undone. It takes the spirit of uh, uninstalling without the labor. So Apple, if you're listening, which uh, I know you don't do because you're Apple, uh, you know, do that. And now back to our store. Ooh, I'm going to sip some water. So ironically, my stainless steel water bottle has an Apple logo on it. Such a hypocrite. Day one. On the first morning of the great disconnect, I overslept. I had made plans to rent a zip car and drive to New Jersey to get some things I needed, but due to my late start, that wasn't going to happen. So I decided to redefine need and live without those items for a while longer. Instead, I headed to the farmer's market and stocked up on greens and cheese and cider. After dropping these off at the Airbnb, I made my way to Soho to read a section of Charles Dickens's A Christmas Carol at an annual fundraising event for Housing Works Bookstore Cafe. When I'd done that same event the year before, I had posted photos to Twitter and checked in on Foursquare and Facebook. This time, I took no pictures, and I checked in by walking up to the booker and saying, Hi, I'm checking in. After the event, three friends and I went walking in search of a particular Chinese dumpling restaurant. I knew its name lay somewhere in my Foursquare history, but that was off limits. Instead, we meandered toward the three dumplings for a dollar bargain, along the way walking past a whole pig stuffed into a plastic bag on the sidewalk. 24 hours earlier, I would have Instagrammed this image, along with a suitably witty comment. Instead, I saved my snapshot for later viewing by people physically close enough to see my phone. The afternoon lazed along, and when I checked my phone at 5 p.m., I was shocked to find its battery life at an historical for that time of day high of 50%. My detox was saving battery life, which was saving energy, which was saving the earth. My only other fixed appointment was a massage. As I chatted with my massage therapist, I discovered she had lived for several decades in the Prospect Heights neighborhood where I was staying. Since I couldn't query my online network for local dining and culture options, my massage therapist became my recommendation engine. She told me of several restaurants and sites to check out. She transmitted this data by writing down the names on a piece of paper. I stopped next at a friend's holiday party where I engaged in conversation without once taking out my phone to see what Twitter had to say about my conversation. My mind left the party only when my body did at about 2 in the morning. I noticed as I was walking down the street with my head held eye and eyes focused on the path before me, a path interrupted by a group of people about my age who seemed lost. They asked me if there was a diner nearby. Had they not been glued to their phones, they might have seen the illuminated sign for the Ocean View Diner directly across the street. Week 1 the online world didn't want to leave me alone. A few days after the disconnect, my chief of staff texted me. Was that you logging into FB today? Someone had tried to hack my account. Given that I had told my 100,000 subscribers and my 1,000 or so friends that I was leaving social media, and given that I don't have 1,000 real friends, it made sense that someone was trying to break in. 
Luckily, Facebook makes this fix pretty easy, I guess because it involves keeping you around. I told Julia my password. She went through Facebook's suggested security steps, and I went back to doing as little as possible. When she logged into my account, she hit another tripwire. Since I had not disabled the Facebook chat feature, my friend Doug noticed me on the system every time Julia logged in to deal with the security situation. <clears throat> he sent me a quick set of accusatory notes. Way to shut it down? Don't pretend you were not online. You just can't stay away. Finally, Julia responded, This isn't Baratunde, it's his chief of staff. No one is buying that story, he responded. And since I didn't see Doug during vacation, he remained sneeringly ignorant. In the real world, however, my first week sans social media was deeply, happily, and personally social. A friend and I went to see the Book of Mormon and then went to dinner. The waitstaff, my friend and I, were the only people aware of my order. I read Zombie Spaceship Wasteland by Patton Oswalt and shared my thoughts on it with seven people I had invited to dinner in my home. I wandered through a nearby park and chilled near the Hare Krishna, close enough to take in their incense and drumming, far enough to avoid their pamphlets. I bought a new pair of glasses and shared my new face with the real people I spent time with. Perhaps because I wasn't always getting updates on events happening in faraway places, I focused on the world around me, especially nearby Vanderbilt Avenue, which turns out to be quite a place, especially for food. Late one night, I entered a restaurant called Cornelius, lured by large print signs in the window advertising meat, whiskey, oysters. I could not resist. At the bar, my recently discovered heads-up display, a.k.a. my eyes, revealed a person next to me. And for several hours, I found myself in a fascinating conversation with one of the dancers from the Broadway musical Spider-Man. One morning at the usual restaurant, one of the Canadian brothers who opened the diner 20 years ago engaged me with tales of the changing neighborhood, in between his slightly sexist, outdated, but charming jokes. The pancakes were delicious. For lunch, I frequented Chuko, where the server recommended the pork belly ramen. This was not the Yelp.com server, mind you, but a human server who proclaimed, Try the pork belly ramen. What an algorithm. On another day, I happened to walk past Brooklyn Bike and Board. I bought a bicycle. Turns out it's easier to ride the thing when you're not trying to simultaneously check your Twitter. By the end of that first week, the quiet rhythm of my day seemed far less strange. I was less stressed about not knowing new things. I felt that I still existed, despite not having shared documentary evidence of said existence on the internet. Seven days in, I felt prepared to fully appreciate one of the best experiences of my time away. I am here day. I'm going to take a little water break. I would normally pause like a professional, but I can't figure out with Audacity how to pause and not start all the way over. And I am way too deep into this to think about undoing it. We're at 23 minutes, y'all. So you're just going to hear my gulps and my lip smacking. This is some authentic behind the scenes ish, yo. Okay. Hmm. The concept of I am here day originated with Priya Parker and her husband, Anand Girdadas, newly minted Brooklynites who avidly supported my digital downshift. In a January New York Times column, Anand defined I Am Here Day as a time to, quote, set aside our technology and to-do list, choose a quarter of the city we wanted to know better, and explore it for a full day. It is a kind of anti-modern communal experiment, 
giving our gadgets a secular Sabbath, reveling in friendship and conversation of a kind that Facebook doesn't do, being thickly in one place, not thinly everywhere. End quote. For this edition of I Am Here Day, Priya, Anand, and I were led through a neighborhood in the Bronx by my friend Gustavo Rivera, who represents part of the borough in the New York State Senate. Gustavo walked us through the 33rd District, telling us of the controversy behind the new Yankee Stadium, the historic grandeur of the Grand Concourse, and the racial discrimination behind the Cross Bronx Expressway. He took us to the Bronx Museum, the New York Botanical Garden, and a Mexican cowboy boot shop. We walked the perimeter of the Bronx Armory and dined at one of the city's best Italian restaurants. The connecting didn't end there. On Gustavo's recommendation, I downloaded the 66-hour audiobook edition of The Power Broker, Robert Caro's epic biography of Robert Moses, who, for better and for worse, determined so much of what we know as New York City. I Am Here Day was the turning point in my digital detox, when I stopped consciously thinking about the experiment and just started living it. I was reading long books, engaging in meaningful conversations, and allowing my mind to wander and make passive connections I had previously short-circuited with social queries, responses, interruptions, and steady documenting and sharing of unripened experiences. The Long Bliss I could regale you with more details of my time unplugged. There were so many positive experiences. The beauty of giving myself 25 days was that after 7 days, I still had 18 left. I know it's math, but it was me more meaningful than, than mere arithmetic. This disconnection was the gift that kept on giving. And the fact is, I maintained the same slow pace, the same sense of discovery that I enjoyed during that first week. There were movies, there were food trucks, there were friends, there was mulled wine. There was brief consideration of a mulled wine food truck. Above all, there was an expansion of sensations and ideas. A writing project that had stumped me before the break suddenly appeared to have endless possibilities. The seed of an idea planted in November started to bloom as I began looking at various Brooklyn buildings that could house a hybrid retail performance dining co-working venue centered around comedy and creativity. I focused on the regional coverage of the New York Times. When I wanted to share an article, I would text it to a couple of people. After doing this two or three times, one friend replied, you are really pushing the boundaries of SMS technology. But I appreciated the boundary and held to it. Had I Facebooked or tweeted such articles, they would have been accompanied by replies and reshares and notifications of comments. Had I emailed them, that outbound message might have resulted in several new inbound ones. A text was enough. Reentry. The end arrived too soon. Despite the shocking fact that the internet and the world seem to have gotten used to life without me, my non-vacation life demanded a reinsertion into the matrix. Startups don't run themselves, books don't market themselves, columns don't write themselves, and very few people pay for pre-recorded speeches. On the day of my return, I posted homecoming messages to the major networks, flipped my profile photos over, and prepared to reverse my pre-flight checklist. But then I realized something. I didn't have to reverse all of it. There was no rule that I had to restore Shazam's rights of interruption on my lock screen. There was no law forcing me to be notified of each Twitter mention. It was possible to enjoy music without auto-publishing each audio track to my Facebook timeline. I returned to my plugged-in life, but less plugged-in, and armed with new habits that flowed from four important realizations. 1. 
I had become obsessed with the information. Before the unplugging, I wanted to read every feed and follow all the right sources so I could be connected to every important event and insight as they unfolded. There is satisfaction in feeling informed. Our democracy depends on it. So the more informed I was, the better a citizen I felt I was. Only when I dramatically reduced my connectivity did I realize how addicted to information stimulus I had become and that I did not need to sustain that constant high to live well and happily. Two, I shared too much. In the months before my break, I achieved peak Twitter. I averaged roughly 1,500 tweets in the months of September, October, and November of 2012. Much of that was due to the U.S. presidential election and that final Twilight movie. But I spent an inordinate amount of time documenting, commenting on, and sharing experiences. In the process, I wasn't fully having those experiences, since it was imperative that I tweet something relevant before they were even over. Three, I was addicted to myself. From the perspective of ego management, I'm a pretty dangerous combination. Performer, writer, CEO, youngest child. Our digital social tools feed right into that ego trap, since pretty much every piece of self-expression is accompanied by performance indicators. I can measure how many likes an idea has. I can see if my tweet wasn't retweeted and wonder, did I even tweet it? Never before have we had the ability to micro-gauge our own rhetorical value to the world. I was judging my oversharing of uninhabited experiences. Since the break, I look backward far less than before, and I've tried to create more discreet moments for checking email rather than maintaining a constant level of inbox awareness, anxiety, and guilt. 4. I forsook the benefits of the digital age. The first season of Downton Abbey features a remarkable scene in which the Dowager Countess, who is always quick to offer a sharp retort in defense of tradition, responds to another character's announcements of weekend plans with a truly confused inquiry. What is a weekend? One major feature of industrialization was the adoption of leisure time for those of us not among the leisure class. Yet one major feature of the networked age is our decreated ability to disengage. Will the concept of downtime have been a temporary blip in the history of civilization? The greatest gift I gave myself was a restored appreciation for disengagement, silence, and emptiness. I don't need to fill every time slot with an appointment, and I don't need to fill every mental opening with a stimulus. Unoccupied moments are beautiful, so I have taken to scheduling them. Once a quarter, my chief of staff and I institute a zero appointments blank week, and almost every week I tune out of the matrix for, matrix for hours at a time. Yes, while I am awake and conscious. Perhaps the most life-affirming change is that I rarely walk down a street while looking at or tapping on a device. My reading or writing can wait, especially if it means I will be alive later to deal with it. I have stopped taking and sharing pictures of my food because that's almost always dumb, unless I cook the meal, in which case it's art. I have, however, started taking photos in black and white now that I consider myself a more enlightened being, I'm far more pretentious. Despite these new habits, I feel myself pulled back toward full digital immersion. This is the first year in which I haven't live-tweeted the Oscars, Grammys, or Super Bowl, but the bombing and manhunt in Boston snapped me back into my old command center know-it-all mentality. Given the significance of the event and that Boston was once my hometown, I'm okay with that relapse, but it reminded me of how easy it is to slide into digital obsession and my post-vacation numbers prove the power 
of its gravitational pull. I am still a creature of my technological time. I love my devices and services, and I love being connected to the global hive mind. I am neither a Luddite nor a hermit, but I am more aware of the price we pay. Lack of depth, reduced accuracy, lower quality, impatience, selfishness, and mental exhaustion, to name but a few. In choosing to digitally enhance, hyperconnect, and constantly share our lives, we risk not living them. We have collectively colluded to take this journey, but we've done so inches at a time, not realizing that we have traveled leagues in the process. For 25 days, I pulled back far enough to see that distance, and I needed the cover story of a Messiah's birth to give myself that space. Could I have done so during another less forgiving time of year? I'm not sure, but I hope we all, users and makers of these tools, allow each other more reprieves from the hunt for constant digital connection so that we can find and maintain other, deeper connections. Whew! The end. Uh, and so, so there's some credits here, photographs, which <laughs> I'm going to give photo credits for images you didn't see. Uh, photographs by Roger Erickson. Styling by Krasana Palma. Grooming by Agata Smentek. Prop styling by Sarah Jane Kinney. And illustrations by Maximatic. A version of this article appeared in the July-August 2013 edition of Fast Company Magazine. So that is uh, it. Let's see where we are with time. 33 and a half minutes. All right, cool. So the, the post-mortem, the epilogue on this so far, uh, the, this, I'm recording this on Wednesday afternoon at 3.10 p.m. Uh, Central European time. Uh, I'm in France. And so it is uh, 9 a.m. in uh, East Coast America time. What up again? Uh, and the story hit on Monday morning. So it's been out 48 hours, roughly. The cover is ridiculous. Uh, for those of you who have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. For those who haven't, I look like maybe I'm dead. Like maybe I'm an angel. Uh, like maybe I'm Bruce <laughs> in Bruce Almighty as the new Morgan Freeman. It's, it's all white background. I'm wearing a white button-up shirt. And I look happy as hell. Uh, because I, I was, and in, in that photo shoot, I sort of remembered the peak joy uh, of these disconnected moments. So, yeah, there's been a, a lot of folks writing about this. I haven't had time to read all of it. I'm semi-unplugged uh, while I'm over here. But I just I want to throw out some thanks to folks and then share a little bit more of what I thought. And this is the enhanced version, so I can get a little deeper than just transcribing, reverse transcribing uh, the document. First, uh, I want to thank Fast Company for... Uh, publishing this and for putting it on the cover that's insane is my first solo cover of any kind of magazine and uh, I don't know that I'll ever recover from or, or get over that it is a real honor and a weirdness to, to be uh, in that position I want to thank Julia uh, my friend and chief of staff who helped me plot this and pull it off and just some clarity on the chief of staff role uh, she doesn't really have a staff right now but I like I said in the piece she is sort of a supercharged assistant, and she's also a life coach, and so she helps me balance and think about things like balance, which a more generic personal assistant role wouldn't allow. And I've flung myself into so many things in the world. One of the only ways to pull it off is with help. I can't really do all that I want to do alone. I'm not doing this company alone. I'm not doing all my writings alone. I have editors and friends and people some of whom work for some compensation, some of whom are just 
uh, very generous. So Julia works for me roughly half time, uh, essentially, to give you some insight in, into that. And she has uh, other clients for, for similar types of advising and services. I want to thank Dana Boyd and Brian Fitzpatrick. Brian works for the Google Data Liberation uh, Front. And he had a great blog post. Dana's was about email sabbatical, very specifically. Brian's was a lot about social media and the alerts. Uh, I didn't even think of that because uh, I hadn't unplugged like this before. So thank you both to, to Dana and Brian. And I have to give a real uh, special thank you to Anand and Priya, who have become very good, very close friends. They are the, of I Am Here Day that I referenced in this piece. Uh, I haven't known them that long, but it sort of feels like I have. And when they realized the transformation, uh, the effect of this on me in the process, they were some people who I spent a good amount of time with over the break. Anand, who is a writer himself and has a book coming out next May called True American, said, you got to pitch this as a, as a bigger story to Fast Company. I think this will really hit. And I would not necessarily have done that. If anything, I may have just blogged it and thrown it up on baratunde.com or on the cultivatedwit.com blog. Uh, but instead, I, I talked to my editor, David Lidsky, who talked to Bob Safi and the editor and a bunch of mysterious uh, druids or whoever, however magazines, article selection and positioning happens. And they agreed. And, and it was their decision to time it for summer as people are preparing their Fourth of July breaks and uh, for the Europeans who disappear for August. So weird. Uh, how do you do that responsibly? Uh, and then finally, uh, uh, I wanted to um, just throw some comments about the piece. I think the piece still pretty much covers everything I, I had to think about it, but there, there are a few other things. I, I wanted this, I wrote this for that overworking uh, audience uh, and for people who, who feel the need to uh, tweet a lot and be because it's their job, there's some kind of social media manager, because they're some kind of executive, because they're running or heavily involved in startup culture, which rewards a level of workaholism which isn't healthy, and and I have struggled with this. I love my life, but I also see the limits of myself. I am a mortal being. I have human limits. I am not a machine. And we are allowing uh, machines built by humans, but running on their own algorithmic energy at this point to define our interaction with the world in ways that are not always healthy. They are transformative. They are different. They are sometimes bad, and they are sometimes terrible. And for someone like me who has been a general booster of connectivity and of technology and optimistic about its ability to transform us creatively and politically, it was a real awakening and maybe a little late, uh, considering how long I've been at this, to think about not doing it all the time <clears throat> and about taking silent time. And especially on the creative side, when we don't allow ourselves this downtime, uh, we, we limit the, the range, the scope, the depth of our ideas uh, and, and our other and our connectivity, perhaps of our compassion and our love for each other. So I found myself more deeply filled with love for New York, uh, love for the geography of this town that I've adopted as my home, for friends, uh, for, for, for peace. And since then, I've started meditating a little bit every day. There's, I'd recommend this app called Headspace, which I have no stake in it, but it is, uh, it's got a nice British dude who kind of navigate you. It's a guided meditation regimen that starts at 10 minutes, then goes to 15, then goes to 20, and maybe even beyond. I'm doing a little bit of yoga at least every day, working out, like exercising in the blood flowing, sitting still in a machine, and staring into, as the onion put it so eloquently, glowing rectangles 
uh, for 90% of the time is not the healthiest choice for our, our evolved bodies uh, and minds. So I could keep going. I will not. Uh, we're at just about 40 minutes, and I think that is a healthy uh, amount. If you have thoughts, uh, I would say check out, or as follow-up, uh, we at Cultivated Wit are doing some comedic interpretation of this stuff. And go visit cultivatedwit.com and check our blog, Fast Company. Uh, check them out. If you want to find the link to this, I have not made a, um, a bit.ly short URL. Let me see if I can possibly do it like right now and figure out which one, what to call it. But I'm on kind of a weak internet connection. All right, save bitmark, customize, some real-time shit, y'all. All right, let's call this uh, BT un, BT Unplug. Is that available? Do it. Do it now. Oh, man. BT Unplug. Great. So here we got the short URL. Bitly slash B-T-U-N-P-L-U-G. BT Unplug. Uh, so if you want to read this, they've got all kinds of ancillary content. They've interviewed people. There's a quiz you can take to see how uh, addicted you are. And they interview other uh, people in various types of professions and, and creative activities about how they deal with this. My piece is not the only one. Paul over at The Verge went offline for a year. There, there are countless other blog posts and accounts of this. I am not claiming to be the first or the most original. This is just me. Um, so check out the bit.ly slash btunplug, cultivatedwit.com, and, uh, and then the, the hashtag unplug on Twitter and now Facebook uh, and Google+. Uh, welcome to the fray, Facebook. Uh, it has a lot of people sharing their, their thoughts, and I'm finding and retweeting, and so is Fast Company. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I hope you listen to some of the back catalog. If you like the sound of my voice as much as I do, ego management, remember, then uh, you know go through the archives. I really like my Sandy walkthrough. I captured that on audio. Uh, some political convention work was really interesting. And, uh, and chronicling what it was like to be on a book tour or some of my own audio highlights uh, in this, which is called The Confessional. So I hope I've lived up to that name and got a little bit behind the scenes. And uh, y'all take care now, you hear? And now it's anticlimactic because I didn't have my finger over the stop button. And so it just kept rolling. All right, now I'm really going to stop.